All right. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Time and Place, the gospel conversation show where we discuss faith on the fringes and do our best to apply God's word to God's world. I'm Solomon. This is Julian. Yep. And today we're going to talk about queer theology. But first, Julian, what the heck is going on in the world today? So why don't you fill us on what the heck is going on today? Because you were MIA uh, for a couple of weeks. So fill us in. What's up? Yeah, I've been out of the world for a while. I really <laughs> felt like I was on another planet for a little while. Yeah. So uh, for those of you who don't know, um, I was hospitalized with COVID for 18 days from February 5th to the 22nd. I got out. Um, so yeah, that's where I've been. That's what's been going on with me. I had COVID and turned into pneumonia, which I guess is really bad. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, couldn't breathe. And so I went to the hospital, uh, thinking they'll just kind of, uh, put me on oxygen, give me some medicine. I'll be all right. But, uh, 18 days later, <laughs> I'm still alive. So yeah, basically. So on the 29th, I wasn't feeling great. I thought it was allergies because my allergies, you know, it was allergy season. It's really terrible. And uh, on the 29th of January. Um, and then on the 30th, on that morning, I was had fever and like body aches. I was like, okay, this isn't allergies. So uh, I was like, well, okay, let me go to Texas Med Clinic right here and uh, get a COVID test just because I never get sick. I hardly, I'm hardly ever sick. I'm hardly ever anything. So I was like, all right, I can't remember the last time I had a fever. And so uh went to the Texas Med Clinic and got a COVID test and it was positive. <laughs> and so like, all right, so I I got COVID. So there you go. That's my COVID. <laughs> Been there, done that. Um all I got was this lousy t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> uh so yeah, so I, I just a positive on January 30th, thinking this is my COVID, fever, body aches, chills, just kind of you know, no taste. That was another thing too. That morning, I was brushing my teeth. And I was like, ah, it's kind of <laughs> weird, you know. And it didn't taste. I could, it's not. I couldn't taste anything. It, it everything just tasted bad. It mm. just tasted gross and weird. And I don't know. It was weird. So, but I was like, well, I can still taste it. I can tell what I'm eating, but it's just tastes like crap. So mm. <laughs> it's kind of weird. So got tested that Saturday. Tested positive for COVID. And I was like, well, okay. And several of my friends have already had COVID that are my age and. I was like, okay, well, I guess this is just my, you know, they were fine. They just kind of got through it, felt like crap for about a week, and we're okay. So that's, that's kind of what I was expecting. And so for the first, like, five days, that's what it was. Uh, well, so for, like, Saturday to, like, Tuesday to, like, Monday over the weekend, um, had fever, body aches, chills, you know, that was kind of the symptoms. That was it. It felt like that weak, achy, sick feeling, you know. And I was like, all right, well, this sucks, but whatever. So then by Monday, I was feeling a little better, no fever. No, you know, no, no body aches or anything. So I was like, all right, maybe I'll come out of this. Uh, but then by Tuesday, I was kind of having shortness of breath. And I was like, oof, it's kind of hard to get a good deep breath, you know. And so uh, I, I was like, well, that's, that's a symptom, you know. Like, that's one of the symptoms of COVID, so whatever. So um, I just took it easy, you know, did try not to do too much extraneous stuff, whatever have a shortness of breath and then got worse and worse. So by Wednesday I was feeling really bad. So I was like, all right, maybe we need to go to the doctor because I'm, I'm feeling pretty bad. Like this is, this sucks. And so I went into the hospital, um, on Wednesday and then they said on the third and 
they x-rayed me they checked me out did the whole thing they said, yeah you know um they ex- give me x-ray and they said uh okay we got good news and we got bad news <laughs> <laughs> they said the bad news is you have pneumonia <laughs> and the good news is you can go home <laughs> <laughs> and i was like I sound like the opposite of what I, feel, what I need. <laughs> but I guess my oxygen levels were still in the 90s, and they were like, okay, you're, you know, you're relatively young and relatively good health, so you should be able to be okay. Just you know, take it easy. And uh, I'd already got medicine. I'd already gotten prescribed and some medication, an inhaler and stuff uh, earlier that day. So they were like, yes, do that, take that medicine, and you know, should be all right. And they gave me like a steroid shot and sent me away. And I was like, all right, well, I don't feel great, but okay and uh so my thursday was a little bit better i wasn't as bad i guess but then by friday morning i just cannot breathe it was Mm. just like my and then we have this little pulse ox reader thing out of my finger and it was like in the 80s and i was like okay uh what do we do (laughs) and it was technically my last day of work with my old job Mm. so i was like well i guess i'm still covered under insurance so I'm gonna go to the <laughs> gotta burn that up. All right. I was like, well, uh, if I'm still covered right now, then maybe I should go to the hospital again and, and just kind of. And, and part of it was like, I've, or I had I already had COVID for a week, and I was like, I'm so sick of this being sick, just like for so long. And let me just go to the doctor and get this fixed, get it done. Just they can put me on oxygen, they can give me medicine, and just be done with it. Just get it over with. Just end this kind of thing. So went to the hospital on Friday, uh, February 5th, and um, they admitted me, and they, I, they put me on oxygen, like, right away, and then, um, you know, they admitted me, and they were like, all right, you know, you're going to be here, and they said, they told me what they are going to do, and they are just going to put me on oxygen and everything, and so, and I was feeling, like, worse and worse just the whole day, and uh, even with the oxygen, and so they admitted me, and they put me on a... Uh, five-day remdesivir treatment so i was like oh man i'm gonna be here five days that sucks <laughs> <laughs> little did i know <laughs> and then so they did that and i was like oh, okay so that's kind of what i was expecting well over the course of those five days i just got worse and worse it was just bad i just could not breathe uh those first like three or four days in the hospital were the most miserable painful uh scary dark <laughs> depressing just <laughs> worst time of my whole, whole life um i mean because you know that you can't lay on your back and so because yeah. that's like your lungs man right. you know so it's like every time you lay on your back it just felt like being suffocated so i was always on my side or my stomach which if you've ever been in the hospital which i never have i've never been in the hospital before for anything hmm. so i've never broken a bone i've never got stitches i've never had an iv for anything i've never had, been to the hospital and so it was the first time at 32 years old I've ever like, been <laughs> in a hospital. serious time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got I got my whole 32 years worth all built <laughs> up in one time. So, yeah, so I did that. Um, it was it was bad, man. Like that was um, my only uh, the hospital is like designed to keep you on your back propped right. up, you know, watching TV, reading a book while you're sick or whatever, and it's like you can't do that. So I was just literally laying down on my side or my stomach the entire time. And so I was like, okay, I can't really read a book like this. I can't, you know, and I didn't want to anyway. Dude, I had that brain fog because of the lack yeah. of oxygen. And it just felt, I couldn't think. I couldn't, 
it was just weird, man. It really messed with like my mental <laughs> everything and just my emotions too. And it was just really like, and then no one could visit me. So I was yeah, completely alone. <laughs> yeah. No one, my wife, nobody could come visit me. No one could come see me or anything all the time. And so like the loneliness and isolation was heavy, man. man. And it was like, dark i just like you know just can't breathe and just constant pain and just every time i felt i breathe i felt like my lungs were wrapped in wires and so like every time I tried to it's breathe kind of in it was just like digging into that and it's just like just the most painful it's terrible <laughs> the only breaths were like little like like we're just like sniffs were like yeah. that was kind of how i was breathing and it was just getting nothing and they cranked the oxygen i wasn't like maxed out on the oxygen level <laughs> and they were just like you need to start breathing <laughs> like <laughs> you, know, you need and i was trying to but the problem too was so they had me like on those on the low flow tube thing oh. which is kind of the small tube right and they had a humidifier um so it wouldn't get too dried out but it started filling with water the tube like was coming in <laughs> and so i'm like trying and i'm like drowning <laughs> so i'm like constantly taking it off to like get the water out and like dump it out and put it back in and, and i call and i'm like this is like drowning me this is filling with water so they put me on the high flow which i needed anyway and so they cranked that up and then so because i was getting worse and so they put the oxygen up that's when they went put me on the high flow uh so then i was on that the rest of the time but um yeah man and so my con I, I, my congestion was real bad so i had the tubes in my nose and i i couldn't it was like all the buildup in like sinus congestion was all mm -hmm. built up in snot and mucus and everything God. and so it was like breathing through little pinpricks through that and so i'm not even getting the oxygen i'm supposed to be getting until i finally just like blew my nose and like picked the like nasty blood clot raisin <laughs> out of my nose <laughs> And I felt great after that. I could breathe, you know, what I'm supposed to be breathing, the oxygen, uh, <laughs> after that. So I was like, oh, man. So my wife actually, my wife and my mom actually convinced the doctors to let me take my decongestant that actually works, my sinus medication and stuff. So they, I was able to take that. And so that helps a lot. That was a huge uh, improvement after that, after the decongestion. Because then I can actually get the oxygen and actually start breathing. But, um, yeah, man, it was, it was the worst time I mean, like i couldn't sit up and eat without getting winded and out of breath and like i just mm -hmm. ran a mile and i couldn't stand up and so and then you know i'm tied down with the oxygen hose too so it's not like i can walk around the room or anything right although the iv was it was weird the the hall when in the covid unit uh -huh. they have all the, the ivs and medical equipment on the hall so reduce as much time in the rooms and so it's like, so it looks like they're moving. It's like they're all crowded. And so my I, my IV went from my arm out the door. Like a six-foot cord? <laughs> yes. It was like a 10 to 20-foot cord out the door. And so that was like, I never knew what was going in here, what was happening with my IV. But yeah, and I was constantly like, people were always tripping over it and stuff and just rolling my God. food tray thing over it. And yeah, it was bad. Um, but um and, and it was so disorganized, man. Like nobody knew what any other nurse or doctor was doing. And so they'd come in, like ask me what about my treatment and what I've done. So like, <laughs> don't you have a chart that like says what y'all did to me or like, <laughs> or anything? So, and then uh, the doctor finally said, one of the doctors finally said, if we can get you walking around and keep your oxygen levels above 90, then we can get you out of here. You know, so that was like my goal was to be able to walk around. And um, so I did. And then, uh, got like super extra long 
tube to do that and then to put the oxygen to like what's well, like a leash dude it felt like a freaking zoo animal like yeah i was just like holding my oxygen and my iv while i walk around <laughs> like tethered to the wall and then you know it was during freaking the snowpocalypse so right yeah snow out the window and i'm like what is happening <laughs> in this like covid brain fog stupor and i'm like it reminds you of, uh, <laughs> in like dark knight returns when all the power goes out when the nuke goes off and they're all in the streets like what's happening yeah <laughs> yeah dude it's crazy i was just like oh my gosh so it was really weird man like i didn't want to listen to any podcasts or like do anything <laughs> i didn't want to like listen to anything real i didn't want to listen to anything mm -hmm. meaningful or serious and so like all my theology and politics podcasts were out you know i'm gonna listen to that I didn't want to hear. I didn't want to hear COVID. I didn't want to hear anything. I didn't want to watch the news. I didn't want you do anything. So it was just like I didn't want to watch TV. And so I actually listened to started listening to uh, music a lot. Listen to a lot of music, but um, yeah, snowbitch. Um, <laughs> and well, and so the water went out in the in the hospital. Oh god, yeah. So which I wasn't using the restroom. So you know it, that that didn't matter to me as much, whatever. But um yeah dude 18 days no shower um <laughs> just sitting in a bed dude like couldn't do anything it was nuts but um yeah so i, I didn't want to listen to any music or i, I wanted to listen to music but i want to hear any words or anybody mm -hmm. singing or anything so i started listening to a lot of jazz because okay. that was just upbeat fast but no right. words and just kind of like all right and i listened to um I, i'd already kind of started listening to this um saxophonist named charlie parker they call him bird um, and so, uh, I, I knew that he was, a was, um, like he, he introduced bebop jazz and stuff and kind of an mm -hmm. innovator in jazz. Um, but, and I knew he had my same birthday, you know, I shared a birthday, August 29th. And so I was like, all right, cool. So I listened to that and it was really fast, really upbeat and everything. And it really kind of helped me, um, uh, just kind of get out of the depression I was in. I've never mm -hmm. like been depressed or anything, but like, I was just kind of in a dark place and that listening to that was really helpful as far as just kind of busting out of that little cocoon I was in or whatever and just kind of feeling a little better and stuff and and that but um yeah so I um I did that and then I didn't I didn't know that Charlie Parker actually died from pneumonia <laughs> in the hospital <laughs> at 34 <laughs> and he was a heroin addict his whole life <laughs> you're really tempting the fates with that one yeah i did <laughs> like, holy crap and his daughter died from pneumonia Jeez. and i know i was like whoa okay <laughs> so we had the same birthday and it's like he was like 34 and, yeah. and I was everything's like, lining up i know i was like oh my god <laughs> so yeah but that helped and that was that was really good um uh, yeah, and then just felt better and better. Just every day, kind of felt a little stronger, a little better, and finally walked around without oxygen. And the doctor, the nurse I'd never seen before, came in and was like, "Oh, look at you off your oxygen. Good job and stuff." And I, I just took my oxygen off. They never had a plan of like, "We're gonna get you off oxygen." It's just, I'm good. I, I, I was like, I just have to get out of here. I gotta right. show. I'm like, I gotta have it off. And so I just did and was walking around and like kept my. It was like a 90, 91, you know, like, and so I was like oh, you, you said 90, you said keep it above 90. <laughs> and so I was like at like 70% better, but I was like, I got to get out of here. And so I took the oxygen off and they were like, so this nurse came in and she was like, um, so did they give you remdesivir? And I'm like, why are you asking me about like, you walk into a patient's room, you don't know what's going on. Like, so I told her yes. And I'm off oxygen. And she's like, 
all right, well, let's get you out of here. And I'm like, yeah. great. That sounds good to me. And like, no one knows I just took my oxygen off randomly by myself. So it's like, <laughs> That's another, another doctor walked in later and they were like, where is he? What happened? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what I imagine. <laughs> but yeah, it was like super quick to discharge like at nine in the morning. I was like, babe, come get me. <laughs> so let me out of here. But yeah. And it sucks because they could, I could, no one could even bring me anything, I guess. Yeah. COVID, like no one could bring me food or anything. And so I lost 25 pounds in 18 days. And, it just deteriorated, man. It was like the worst. <laughs> it, was just, it was complete hell. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was miserable. The brain fog is the weirdest part because other people I know who've had it have also said they're like, I feel like I was out of my body. Like I'm just not here. I was just not present the whole time. Yeah, it's really weird. I, I was even feeling that the first few days too at home. Like when I got home, like the rest of that day, mon at Monday at home, I was just like, everyone's like happy to see me and stuff and the kids. And I'm just like, like i'm on drugs or like I'm drunk or something it's just like it's just weird it feels like altitude sickness if you ever had that yeah. like being at high altitude and trying to do something and you're just kind of like uh like out of your head it's just really like a loopy forgetful weird feeling but, man yeah so but every day since then um it's been a little better than the day before been walking around i've been walking outside for like 30 minutes just trying to build strength back up and eating food and just yeah just trying to like it's so weird because my legs from you know run, like running is just they were like muscular and like thick you know now they're like just chicken legs. Away, yeah. Yeah, it's just weird. <laughs> God. It's so i tried to like i was walking and uh i tried so like a, a like a driveway of the gas station and someone kind of pulled up and i was kind of like trying to you know and i kind of like i tried to like kind of like jump and like kind of do a small little run uh, and it didn't happen <laughs> i did it was, i was like oh i was like what the? it's like my brain sent the right signals but the legs but didn't want to go legs are like we don't do that anymore <laughs> like we can't. My, so my brain was expecting this like jump and i'm like and nothing happened it's like so Damn. weird dude. Yeah, it's like send this much effort to do a little hop across. I'm like, it didn't happen. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> yeah. So Man. just trying to build my strength up, get better, um, breathe. And, you know, I built a, I made a breathe song playlist on Spotify. <laughs> We're going to share that afterwards for anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. You can, find you, can, somewhere. you can guess like what songs are on it and stuff. <laughs> yeah. One of the, so, uh, one of the guys at church, he was on, uh, they were doing Whole30 right before they got COVID. And the COVID hit and they were like, well, we fell off Whole30, but I lost like 25 pounds anyway. Yeah. So it worked out, I guess. That deathbed diet. Yeah. <laughs> Water with a spoon and crackers. And just... Yeah, dude. It's miserable. Man. Oh, it's awful. <sighs> but well, yeah, so that's my COVID story. Sucks. <laughs> and on yeah. that. Uh, Texas is removing mask mandates, so <laughs> we're yes. ready to go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's what it, one of us needed to get it. That was the, oh, the line that needed to be broken, dude. It's just a roll of the dice, man. Because it's like you know, I gave it to people, and they're fine. They like yeah. took it in a few days, and it's like you know, why did it hit me this bad? You know, like this just became I mean, pneumonia this, for me. You were in the house with your wife and kids, and like you're the one that ended up in the hospital. Everybody else is. Yeah, it's rolling. I know, man. It's just how it's gonna hit you. It's gonna hit. It's gonna grab you and rock you, or just pass through. Like it's mm -hmm. just. I don't know, man. I have no clue. It's just weird. I don't have any other comorbidities, you know. Not right. You know, I don't have any other sort of problems. I don't have hypertension, I don't think. But 
Yeah, that's what's crazy too. The people that I know that do have comorbidities, when they got it, it was like nothing. Like you would have yeah, thought it would have killed them, and they're like, no, this, it's fine. That's what, that's what I'm saying. This guy, uh, this comedian Michael Yo, like used to play football in college and stuff. Super fit guy, you know, like in his late 30s and stuff, and it wrecked him. He thought he was like, you know, thought he was gonna die, and he was terrible. His like 70 something year old mom got it and shook it in a yeah, few just, days, and it's just like <laughs> <laughs> you have no clue. It's, that's what I'm saying. It's just a roll of the dice, man. It's just. You seem like I hit you and be okay, or you know, and it's weird because it's like, I mean, this technically the statistic still stands. If you're 32 and run occasionally, generally good health, you should be okay. That's why they sent me yeah. home. That yeah, one, that's true. You know, and it's like you should be fine. It's like yeah, but I'm not. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think fried my lungs. <laughs> so yeah, man, I don't yeah. know. It's crazy. Well, you came back in time for a hot button topic. So I know you told me we we're talking. About. Like, Whoa! All right. Well, we hit. We was gonna be uh, earlier in the week, but then the snowpocalypse happened, so we had to push everything back a week. Yeah. So last week we got purity, but this week is. I feel like purity is kind of a, a more faded out concept in, in church. You don't really have like the true love weights anymore. But well, the, well <laughs> you know, I, I kissed dating goodbye. You yeah, know? not anymore. He kissed the movement goodbye. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like he. I'm, I'm waiting. Honestly, dude, I'm waiting for I kiss dating girls goodbye. That's you know we're. <laughs> We were talking about Speaking that. Of today's topic. Today's topic. Speaking of today's topic. <laughs> today's topic is so it came onto my radar because of uh, this documentary that's coming out in 1946. Uh, it, it kind of pushes an idea that I had heard before five, ten years ago, and, and I kind of hadn't heard from again until now. And I, I can't help but think it's in the air because of everything going on with kind of what the administration is pushing for and 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 vowing to do. Uh, but the idea is what's known as queer theology. So the idea that the church has just been wrong on the topic of homosexuality, homosexual rights, uh, trans issues, and that we're basically it's been based on a mistranslation. So um, we're kind of out of the loop of that, obviously. It's not really our, our area. So we wanted to bring somebody in to kind of lay out the foundations for us and have a discussion back and forth to see what the points are. So I'm going to bring on our guest right now. Here we go. Uh, let me see. I think your mic is muted. Sorry. There we go. <laughs> so, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and kind of tell everybody uh, where you're coming from? Yeah. Um, so my name is Matthew. Um, I am the newest um, social media um, intern for Beloved Arise. And for those who don't know what that is, um, Beloved Arise is a faith-based nonprofit organization that is dedicated to empower the lives of um, LGBTQ queer, uh, well, basically queer youth of faith. We're technically the first national organization um, to provide a service for um, queer youth of faith. Um, we recognize that like queer youth of faith, well, queer people in general often get stigmatized by um, religious spaces. So we try our best to let them know that um, that God loves them and that we do hold the position that LGBTQ plus is not a sin. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I, um, for me, like personally, I, um, for Beloved Arise, I am the, I am, I direct their TikTok account. So okay. um, I, I, they discovered me from my own personal TikTok account. Um, but my job is to basically because TikTok is where like a lot of like our youth are right now, um, right, right. like the hotspot. So um, it's important for us to reach out and to, um, you know, there's a lot of 
people out there that are struggling right now. And so we think it's important to reach out, reach out and just to make sure that they know that they're loved by God. So, so on, on kind of a background thing, cause I, I don't really know the foundations of this art movement or when it, uh, mm-hmm. when it really started, what was kind of the, I know the, the, the movie posits in 1946 is when someone raised an argument, but when did the movement really pick up steam as far as, Hey, this is something the church should embrace and not ostracize. I don't think there's any kind of particular date about like, like this is exactly like when it started. I think some of these things kind of like emerged in the culture. I do mm-hmm. think that a really early kind of like defying day, I guess you could say would be like the actions of Troy Perry, who was a, um, a gay pastor, um, mm-hmm. pretty well known, but he starts like an affirming church. And, um, I believe it's in California. Okay. Um, I forgot, but, um, he's, I mean, this conversation isn't new. Um, we've been, I think, I believe that Christians have been having this conversation for the past few decades. Um, but yeah, there's not, there's not a specific date or, or like a year about like when this really started to like come up. Mm-hmm. I think it is more, more present now than ever. Right. Um, but yeah, there's not a specific time where like, oh, this thing just emerged out of nowhere. And mm. so, one of the I kind of wanted to set a baseline before we kind of get into all of the the topics and finer points as far as how we approach the the subject and how we're going to come to the whole cultural uh, milieu or what have you. Right. So for me and Solomon, we're both Reformed Baptists. Uh, so I, I don't know how familiar we are with Reformed theology, but we hold to the five solas. So for us, one of those five is sola scriptura, which is the the scripture alone is the sole infallible rule for faith and practice in life. So we hold that above anything else, any opinion, any, uh, any study, any, whatever, it's going to be, what does the scripture say? Uh, holding that it's God breathed infallible and is, you know, the revelation of God to us in a very real Mm -hmm. sense. Uh, where do you kind of fall on those, on those ideas? I think that scripture is, um, definitely inspired by God, but I don't believe that like scripture is necessarily infallible. I, I do think that I would, I would even agree with like people who are like not LGBT affirming and mm-hmm. who are more conservative. Like even like I, I know some theologians who would say that like the Bible is not um, infallible and yes, mistranslations have occurred, but God can still speak through something that is fallible. So when you say not infallible, do you mean in the, in the translation or in like the original text? I would say uh, the translation. Okay. But the original text itself, would you say that what the apostles wrote is infallible? Yes. Okay, so it's more of an issue of how it was communicated than mm-hmm. how it was written in the first place. Okay, yeah. cool. So I, I guess, I don't know, Solomon, do you have any anything you want to kind of jump in on at this point? Um, yeah, I mean, that, it does come down to scripture, basically, um, as far as uh, a lot of any of these questions go. Um, so what would your, what, what would your um, stance be as far as uh, scripture in Christianity, I mean, does Christianity ultimately come to scripture or what would be the final authority on mm. a, any question uh, of, of anything of like, you know, should, you know, I mean, anything, any, any sort of, should we love our neighbor? Should we kill? Should we steal? Should we whatever? Mm. What What's the final, in, in a Christian worldview, would you say is the final like uh, standard as far as answering those questions. I think um, 
like most Christians, that scripture tells us it's like this just from Genesis to Revelation, it is a collection of all these different stories, but a unified story that we can all look into and we can that the Bible can essentially answer any of the things that we are curious about or want to know about. And um, it can teach us about many things in life. So in that sense, like I would say that like, like the Bible is something that we like Christians should go to because Mm. it is inspired by God and that we can, um, we can get what God is teaching us through scripture. So that's how I see it. So what would, so, so would scripture be the final authority? On answering, on answering questions like, you should not steal. Well, you know, what's theft? What if I'm hungry? What if, you know, and you start arguing the semantics and stuff, mm-hmm. Where is scripture the thing that we go to or is it the church or is it myself or is it, you know, like what to say like, well, this thing is wrong or this, this mm-hmm. is a sin, this is not a sin, this is acceptable, this is not acceptable, uh, you know, so would, would, would you say scripture is that thing or is it something else? Yeah, I would say that, like, you know, it's it's not, like, bad to, like, go to, like, the church or to people or to, like, even, like, to discuss things even with your own self. But I do right. think that, like, it is important for us to go to scripture. Um, so I guess in your sense, like, I would say yes, because scripture, like I said, inspired by God and God can show us and teach us through scripture. So, um, you know, I would, yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. Do you, and do, just, you, do you think that like what we have on our coffee table is inspired by God or only mm-hmm. those first manuscripts that are lost and forgotten and to translation into, you know, so. That gets a little hazy. Um, I think, <laughs> I think for sure, like the original, like yeah. manuscripts, like for sure, translations, um, it's a little tricky there. So do you think it's possible to know what they wrote originally? Do, do you think it's possible to know what John and Paul and Peter all wrote? I couldn't answer that. I don't okay. know. So, so when you say we should go to scripture because it's inspired by God, uh, we can't kind of like, right. I mean, or can we, do you think we can go to an inspired word right now? Like the scriptures, like right now. Yeah. yeah like, like what, what we, we have on a coffee to. table is, I think so. Is inspired. Okay. Okay. Well, we agree with that. So what I have, we have on a coffee table is inspired by God and that is scripture. God breathes. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. So, so this, I know we're kind of hammering on this, but I just want to clarify terms. I know we can get lost in the Christianese sometimes. Uh, when when we say inspired, how do you uh, understand that to be? Do you mean like this is the word of God handed to these people? Or do you mean God enlightened them to kind of give a, an opinion about something? Or, you know, where, where is, is this the words that God intended for us to understand and hear from himself? Or is this kind of Paul's opinion based on his wisdom that comes from knowing God? I think that... The Bible is written by people under the influence of the Holy Spirit and that I don't believe that the Bible is God's words. I believe that it is Paul's words. It is, you know, so on and so on. But I do think that in a sense that the Holy Spirit is behind all of it. Okay. Um, But I don't believe it's like literally God. That makes like any sense. I feel like I'm saying that in a really bad way. So what you're talking about is like a dictation mm-hmm. theory, like where which we wouldn't agree with right. as well, as far mm-hmm. as like they're hearing and they're just kind of like a secretary writing down, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Same, yeah. Holy spirit. Yeah. Inspired by the Holy spirit um, as they're carried along by the spirit um, writing scripture. I agree. Yeah. And I would say that everything the apostles and disciples 
preached, uh, just spoken word at the, mm. at, at, in their time was scripture and was authoritative from God. Even we don't have it, right? They gave a sermon, didn't write it down. That was scripture. That was God breathed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I also don't think that anything they would have said in a conversation uh, in like their spoken scripture would contradict what we have right. in scripture either. Right. So it's not like these lost, oh, well, that's the, you know, this is also scripture and now it's not. And all those kind of questions of canon and, and books, the Bible and stuff. Um, yeah. So, well, cool. I think we agree on a lot there, um, as far as scripture. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah, so great. where do you, where do you think the, the disconnect is? Cause I, I feel like for the most part, most Protestant evangelicals would agree with what we just said, as mm-hmm. far as what the scripture is, where it comes from, right. uh, wh- where is the disconnect happening to where we come up with one interpretation and you come up with another? I, so when I'm talking to people about this, I usually will, um, tell them that, it's important when, especially for this topic, just because there, you know, this this topic is impactful for so many people, and it's mm-hmm. so it's it's really important that we address this carefully regarding scripture. Um, the disconnect is, I usually tell people that, like, when you're looking at it at this through a historical context, mm-hmm. is that um, that the year. 1869 is a year that we can, it's a year that someone comes along and will create the concept of like sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's important to know that all through history before that point, um, what we do see is a same sex behavior. So there was no understanding. um, And this is just according to the different ancient texts. um, Mm -hmm. I would even argue, including scripture, um, that there was no understanding of a sexual orientation or a gender identity. Um, mm-hmm. right. Because your sexual orientation is composed of three different things. It's your um, sexual attraction, your sexual identity, and your sexual behavior, like how you behave um, sexually. Um, but it's very inaccurate to even use the word homosexual before the turn of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. If you were to say that to anyone, in a historical like culture, they would have not understood what that is because there was no concept that there were equal status loving couples that would have never been acceptable in any historical or ancient societies, even biblical mm-hmm. cultures. Um, there are a lot of historical, political, um, psychological things that do pop up um, again, like after that 1869 mark. Right. Where um, we do see a shift of what same sex behavior looks like and how we think of it in a um, cultural um, in the in our culture. And I think that's kind of where we see the disconnect, Um, Mm. because I can't say that there's one thing that like there's one sole like one reason why, like there's this disconnect between like how we are addressing this, because there's a lot of different ways and reasons of why. The, why Christians have disconnected on this issue. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if that's like making any sense at all. Um, no, yeah. I, and there's there's kind of a little point I kind of want to hone in on there because it, it was interesting. Uh, so when you say that before, you know, 18, uh, 1869. 1869. Okay. Yeah. Let me make sure I heard that right. It was that. Uh, there wasn't a concept of homosexual. It was yeah. same sex behavior existed, but the concept of relationship didn't. Right. 
Right. Uh, so do you think that that was an idea that would have been rejected by them prior to that? Like, oh, that's not possible prior to that? Yes. Okay. Because same-sex behavior, um, it's most of the time, like overwhelmingly would have had some kind of like lust, mm -hmm. excess, violence, rape. And most of the time it would have been a man with someone younger, usually a boy, or a man with a, another man, right. but it was a man that had less power. So always some sort of age or power difference. And there is no ancient text about a equal status, same-sex wedding, same-sex couple. Like that right. would have never been acceptable because, um, because for all through history, they did not look at what sex your partner was. It was mm -hmm. all about what role you took. So they looked at, did you play the penetrating role right. or the penetrated role? And right. for a free man to be in the place of a woman being penetrated was degrading. Right. So two, two men of equal status being in a relationship would have never been acceptable because mm. they would have looked at one of the men being degraded into the place of a woman. So that's interesting because that's I know that's going to get into one of the texts that is kind of the the movie is focused on I think is right. the First Corinthians passage, uh, but I, I kind of want to go a little sideways on it. Um, do you think that that's simply because of culture? So you said that like uh, even the biblical situation would not have acknowledged an equal same sex couple. Yeah. Uh, do you think the apostles would have rejected it on culture or on? Uh, a religious basis. So in other words, do you think that the apostles were too overwhelmed by a cultural bias to be able to say, well, this is what God will think about this at another point of time or now even? That's a little tricky because I can't say that like, like Paul will, well, like, it, like I can't say it, like if Paul was here today, like he would affirm it. Like I couldn't well, say that because let me ask it this way. Would, would it be possible to identify someone who has a man who has sex with other men before 1869. What do you mean by that? Okay, so it's like I'm living in 1864, and okay. I know that that guy walked in on that guy having sex with another guy. Is that possible to label or identify or put some sort of moniker or some sort of uh, like, oh, that's what he does. He does that. He's told me that. This wasn't the first time. He's done it before. He's going to do it again. Uh, the other guy liked it too. And so they are blank. Would it have been possible to identify them, even though the word homosexual didn't exist or anything like that, but to identify that person as a man who has sex with other men? Is that possible? There are concepts that would have been used. Um, one of it um, widely known as like sodomites or even right. like buggers. Like buggers right. is also another word. Um, which so, um, to, so to say there's no identifier on it, like because the word homosexual homosexual did not exist, or the the idea or the concept of it as we know it today didn't exist, doesn't mean that it was impossible before 1869 to identify someone who does this. But for sodomites and buggers, those are different, just because, like for instance, like the word sodomy, the original word is sodomia. And it was brought up by um, an Italian monk in, um, I believe it's in the 12th century. I'm sure I get that right. Um, 
but he writes a letter to the Pope about a concern that he has about priests engaging with um, sexual acts with little boys, which I guess we're still hearing about that. Today. It never kind of ended now. Yeah. Um, but it's, it was a word that was coined to describe priest with boys, but, mm. the, but that word has just changed its meaning over time and it eventually becomes any non-procreative sex. And so we see all these cultures pop up implementing sodomy laws. So anyone that was found guilty of having sex that was not intended for procreation was violating that law. Um, so that's pro because procreation was um, very important all through history. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on sodomites and buggers to be the same thing as gay people because sodomites like men and women can both be doing that. Like, like wives and husbands, they could both be um, violating sodomy laws by not having a hundred percent procreative sex. Okay. But the, I guess, so where does the, so, but okay. So where does the word, where does S O D O M come from? Like that, that priest used that, right? Because mm -hmm. for, for identifying priests who were having sex with young boys, mm -hmm. but where did, but he didn't create the word, Sodom, right? Right, that came from the Old Testament, right? Right. Right, from Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Mm -hmm. And that was how they were identified, and that that wasn't a man having sex with young boys, it was men having sex with men, right, in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So the concept, and um, in in, so the word sodomy and Sodom comes from Genesis 18 of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? right? It doesn't yeah. come from some uh, Catholic... <laughs> So he didn't create that, like, that's why we identified it, but that came from uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And so, and, and that wasn't uh, men having sex with young men or boys, that was having men having sex with men, right? And that's where the word act, Sodomite actually comes from, right? Not from the letter to the Pope, right? Because if he's using the word Sodom, that's coming from somewhere else, right? So that concept is older than that guy, right? Well, yeah, but... Um... In terms of like the Sodom and Gomorrah story, that's, I mean, essentially Jude points this out, like in the book of Jude, is that that's there, that is an attempted gang rape in reality towards the angels, not really towards the men. Right. But these, they said men, right? They said, we want the men that are in there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so this was not, and it's presumably not the first time these guys have come to this. Activity. Done what they've done. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, this is the characteristic of the city, right? right. And so that's, yeah. So um, I, I guess what we're trying to hone in on is this idea that like, so one of, one of the things we're having a hard time with is that the word homosexual doesn't exist until, uh, you know, the turn of the century, but the activity is not new. Like we've already established, even you would agree that it goes back through human history. The activity is always there. Uh, I guess what I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around is the idea that to say that at no point in history was there ever two men who saw each other as a committed partnership relationship. That, that's what I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around. Like that, that, that's a foreign concept to anybody who lived before 1840 or something. Mm -hmm. You know, I, is it possible that the apostles would have, especially in the Roman context or in the Greek context, which we know same sex relationships, especially amongst men was super common in the Greek and Roman context. Mm -hmm. it, was it, you know, impossible to think that there were two men who saw each other as spouses and that the apostles would have encountered this and addressed it, not from a cultural perspective, because we know within their own Jewish culture, they had clashes with 
what Jesus taught and what the culture at the time was teaching, right? They were mm -hmm. often at odds. So is it possible that they would address this from the perspective of Christ rather than from their Jewish culture? Well, they I don't think that the apostles would have encountered any sort of like same-sex couples, like kind of like how we see it today, because just because the like the culture would have not accepted that. They would have not been out in society. I'm not saying that like same-sex attracted people weren't around it's definitely possible that they were around but you just would not have seen them out in society because society did not accept that um, even even the the roman or greek society where it was pretty prevalent and i mean pretty common well for the greeks the common the most common form of same-sex behavior was pederasty men with boys they saw that as something beneficial to their society because mm -hmm. it involved like raising a young man a young boy to become a young man the romans saw this as a more of a power dynamic so you would have all, most of the time have seen that between um masters and slaves but for a free roman citizen to be penetrated like a woman would have like they would have not accepted that so uh, I want to kind of hone in on this because we're getting to the topic into the text now uh because that penetrative act and that idea is kind of where this movie kind of digs in i guess right uh and the the two terms and we're going to get a little greek so try to follow with this i know it's a little complicated but it, it's not as complicated as it sounds uh the, the two terms that are used in the first corinthians passage are malakoi and arsenicoites yes. uh the movie's assertion is that those two words are unrelated but pushed together to create the term homosexual in 1946 is that mm -hmm. correct am i summarizing yeah. that right okay yes. so um why exactly is it your understanding that those two words shouldn't be associated if they were put together in the text? And if they, if, if they are put together, what should they mean in reference to each other? Mm -hmm. Okay. So these two words are um, a bit ambiguous and debated today. Um, I guess I'll just start with Malakoy just because like, that's like the easier one to explain. Okay. So Malakoy, um, and I'm I'm going with this one first because the other word is um, more complicated to. It's a very yeah. very complicated one, um, but Malakoi um, appears three times in scripture. Okay. Um, the other two times it's actually um, pronounced Malakos, and mm -hmm. it's used as a um, an adjective to describe something. Right. It's used to describe soft clothing, mm -hmm. um, but Paul's use here is um, as a noun. He's describing people with this. And in that sense, it's someone who is soft. Um, what does that mean exactly? So in the way that this word is used is, um, I mean, you can literally translate it as like soft ones, which are um, most often men in ancient literature that men who behaved or acted like a woman. Right, effeminate would be the way, especially in, in the ESV, the translation is effeminate. Right. Right, so um, is that is that accurate? Would you say that's a correct translation? Well, the thing about effeminate is that I would not translate, I would not use that word today, just because okay. that we just don't view women the same way. Um, um, but it was associated with traits of a woman. So right. women, and actually I have a list right here. And it's actually kind of interesting. Um, the, anytime that Malakoi is used in ancient texts, it meant that it meant for someone who is morally weak, given to unnatural vices, lazy, unchaste, lustful, whorish, impure, and submissive in sex. And when it's used to describe men, 
It described men who lived a life of decadence, who partook in excess foods, drink and sex, men who were weak in battle, or men who pretty themselves up to exploit women. Men who loved reading way too much were also called Malakoi. Or men in, in who, the I'm, I don't mean to interrupt you, but in the in the scriptural context, is it used that way? For instance, you said it was only used three times. In the other two times that it's used, is it used in any of those ways? No, because it's used as an adjective. Okay. It's, so it's the, actually describing something that is soft. Okay. So the only time it describes a person, uh, it doesn't have any of those other connotations. It, it, it describes more of an effeminate characteristic. Yes. Okay. So I, I want to hone in on that because one of the things you did say was submissive in sex, right? Which I think is the point of that word in this particular context, which is why it's put together with arsenicoites. Right. So, uh, Let's go to that one and explain arsenicoitis because it is a little meandering, but I think it's yeah. the, the bigger one of the two. Yeah. So arsenicoitai is, um, it's actually not an official like Greek word. It right. is believed that Paul had made this word up right. and um, it's a compound word. So yes. it's arson is ma man, right. koitai is bed or to lie with. Right. Um, so it's easy for us to read that. And a lot of people do this where they read that and they say, okay, it's men bed, men going to bed, men doing get in a bed. That's kind of right. like how we think, but they're, that's not the best way to kind of like define that word because there's other words like understand. It's not to stand under or right, right. butterfly, not a flying stick of butter. Like right. I would not like, would not determine the word based on that. Okay. Um, process but um the thing about this word is that like no one knows what this word means okay so and i want to push a little bit on that because I, I i don't mean to cut you off i just want to mm -hmm. kind of yeah. so uh you said it's a compound word that he invented which is the common understanding i, I think that's correct um what was he pulling from to create that compound word he had um pulled those so those two words in the septuagint um if you look in leviticus right. um 20 13 where it says that if a man lies with a man um, right. no, the punishment is death right and arson and koitai two separate words both appear in that passage right um so like again it's people will point to that and say like he's like condemning same-sex behavior here right um but the problem with that is that um that Leviticus was written 1400 years before Christ and before Paul had coined this word. Right. And so I would say, you know, think of words that have changed in the past few decades, like, like chips or memory or bites. Like those words have changed their meaning in, in a way mm -hmm. in the past few decades, but this was written 1400 years before Paul had coined it. So that's not the, the best way to determine about what this could mean. Would you say so, context is a good way just to find out what words mean? How they're used in context? Yeah, it's like, we like, it's important to, like, if you really want to know like how this word, like what this word really means, it's important to understand how it's being used in like other ancient literature, like you, going to external sources that could benefit us. The problem with that though, is that it, only appears less than a hundred times throughout 600 years. Right. And it only appears in a series of lists and nowhere does it say like arsenicoitai means so-and-so. Right. Like you're not going to find that. Um, Is it listed? Are, with, uh, so, I'm oh, sorry. So like just the context of how these words are used, 
I mean, I think is one of the best way to, ident to, to identify and define what word, any, any words in any language at any time actually means, right? So like you're getting right, chips, that's a good example. Cause it's like, we can say he's eating a bag of chips. Well, now I know what that word means, right? right. Versus like this computer has the wrong chips. And it's like, okay, well now I know what that word means. It's right. the same word, different context, but it right. is clearly defined by its context in in the phrase, in the sentence, in the whatever it is. And so that's what we have in scripture is phrases and sentences, chapters and context of who's talking, who they're talking to, what they're talking about, mm -hmm. what they're listing, such as sins, and how they deploy these words and even compound words, right? Like basket and ball, we know as those two different things, but it's like we know what a basketball is. We know what, you know, someone to play basketball, right? So right. there's no confusion. Well, a basket means this. So that's really, you know, in a ball. And so it's like, okay, but we understand that through context of what, right. how the word's being used, mm -hmm. what it means, right? And so right. what it's identifying, what it's talking about. So I think that, you know, is that a, a fair way to understand these words? The problem with that though, is that when we look at like how this word is used, um, externally um it's in the context of some kind of like injustice or some kind of exploitation um so i could what not wrap externally yeah what external source are you referring to um, so there are two, eight, the, two different ancient texts called the sibling oracles and the mm -hmm. act of john and then these two um they're from the second and sixth century okay. and in these two ancient texts there is two different kinds of lists um mm -hmm. vice lists of things that we should not do Right. So one list is um, the economic exploitation list. And another okay. list is the sexual sin list. Okay. And the sexual, sexual sin list, there are things like pederasty, incest, things right, that, right. you know, like sexual sins. Right. Um, and our synecoite does not appear in that list. It appears okay. in the list that has to do with some kind of injustice or mm -hmm. some kind of exploitative abuse used to others. So can I can I point something out here? Uh, yeah. I, I think there's kind of a standard that you're using one way yeah. that I don't think you're using the other way. So uh, you made the point that Leviticus is written 1400 years before Paul, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of hard to tell what the word may have changed between now and then. Uh, the second and and sixth century were one and 500 years after Paul. So isn't it fair to say in the same way that well they may have not understood it in the way that Paul intended because he wrote this in the first century, uh, pre 60 even. So you're talking about a difference of one to 600 years. Is it not possible that they're also using it incorrectly than what he originally intended? That's true too. Um, it's like, like I said before, it's only used less than a hundred times throughout right. 600 years after Paul had coined it. So to your sense, like that could be true too. Right. And okay. Like no one knows what this word means. So when so, like, you can't say that this word definitely means this, but you can say this word probably could. Okay. Yeah. So what would so, you say? Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Do you think using external sources is the best way to understand what biblical words mean in their biblical context? If we don't know what it means. Well, so, okay, so why wouldn't we use scripture to interpret scripture? Right. You could use both. Right, I mean, you could, but right. for instance, let, let me use an unrelated term uh, that is pretty prevalent in culture is antichrist, right? That's a term that if you ask people what it means, they're going to give you different answers. And most likely it's going to have one cultural answer. But if we let scripture define it, it's going to give you a definition of what it means. John defines the term that he uses. Right. So why wouldn't we let Paul define the term that he uses? 
or just look at it in the context of the way it's being used in that passage or in the scripture and understand what the author is trying to say from his own words, from his chapter, from his right. book, from, from the whole book overall context mm -hmm. of scripture, not saying, well, that Arsacoites is not found anywhere externally. So we have no clue what this means. We have no idea what he is trying to say. Well, I think that's a little disingenuous, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> you understand what it means man layer. <laughs> like, what does that mean? He's trying to identify someone who lies with men as with women. And so that's using that word, right? But either way, it only describes what men are doing and not what women are doing. So to right. explain that, to translate okay. this into homosexuals, you're including women that Paul never included. Okay, in that oh, in no, that no. in that passage, right? In that passage, it does not refer to women. That's correct. But I, I just want to set a baseline here because the Levitical context is, is definitely sexual, right? And, and especially in the Corinthian church, they had problems with sexual sins. Like that's right. a common thread through the first and second Corinthians. Yeah. So would you at least be willing to say that what he's referring to? regardless of what you think it means, has to do with a sexual sin of some kind. Yes. Okay, so we at least have that baseline. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason that I think it's important that it's put with Malakoy uh, is because what, and I think the ESV had the same same uh, understanding, and Dr. James White has talked about this. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. James White. Uh, he's, he's a scholar in Greek and Hebrew, so he would be able to tell you the Levitical meaning and the, the uh, uh, Corinthians meaning. Uh, is that the two parties of the homosexual male relationship are described here. For instance, the Malakoi, the one submissive in sex, the context you said it does contain, and the one who lays with men, the arsenokoites, both parts. So whereas before you said that, well, the cultural context was one was always exploiting the other. Paul is saying both participants are in sin in this situation, right? It's equal in that sense. Um, why why do you think that's not a valid understanding or that these two words have to be unrelated even though they're placed right next to each other? Yeah, so this is, again, even on like the affirming side, this is a bit ambiguous because um, there are some affirming um, Christians who would say that like, that arsenicoi type malakoi are describing both parties right. of a like male same-sex act, but they would say that that is talking about like pederasty men with boys. Right, there, are other, mm -hmm, there are other parts of um, like other affirming Christians would say that this is like, you know, this is nothing to do with each other and that there were other like words that Paul could have used to talk about like the top or like the bottom. Right. Um, so it's a it's a bit ambiguous and like I'm not going to like die on a hill claiming that okay. this is the <laughs> right way. Um because again, like we're dealing with a word that was made up. And so okay. I can't just like sit here and claim like this is the way because I don't okay. know. So I wanna move to another text, but before we do, I, I just wanna ask this to kind of close off that little section. Mm -hmm. uh, you're saying that it's ambiguous and we can't really tell what it means for various reasons. Does that mean that we can never understand what the scripture was intending to tell us in that point? I think it's interesting because um, So there is this, um, there's a 1956 book called The Principles and Practices of Preaching by Ilion Jones. And he, he was a pastor and he, in this book, he had made this commentary, right? And he says, he's telling other pastors, he's like, pastors, you got to like watch what your Bibles say, because all of a sudden they could just change out of nowhere. And he was saying that he was preaching this verse in terms of like the Malakoy word. He was preaching that as, you know, the people that won't make it into heaven are the right. people 
who take the easy and soft way in life. And then now he's looking at this saying, oh my God, like this is, this is homosexual now. Mm-hmm. Um, or that. Um, Did he miss the whole man lay with man part as well in that passage? I think he was preaching more about like the abusive part because like even in the King James, which I'm not entirely sure like what he was using in terms of like translation. translation. Um, but it does state that it is like abusers that defile themselves with mankind. And so I think he, from his standpoint, he was preaching about the ex- exploitation, injustice, abusive part of it. Mm. Um, I, I would almost say to an extent, he, he almost got it right on both ends because effeminacy doesn't just cover a homosexual act, right? There's different categories of effeminacy, which is why in another epistle, Paul will say to act like men, right? So right. he had this category of like, these are manly things. These are unmanly things. And I think they do cover things like cowardice or laziness or other things like that that are unmanly. I wouldn't say so much just acting like a woman, but being unmanly, which I guess, you know, in a in my system, there's only one or two ways you can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think he was a little bit correct on that. Um, so I guess, I mean, what I'm what I'm asking more so is I, I understand that you're saying it's ambiguous and it's hard to understand. I'm asking, is there can it be understood or do you just think it can't and we should just maybe agree to disagree? I've, I don't know how to answer that. Um, I would have to, I honestly, I'm not sure how to answer that just because of just this specific situation with this verse. Okay. Um, I know some people would take both sides. Some people would say, you know, like we can know what this means or some people would right. be like, we don't, we will, we'll never know what this means. Um, mm. I don't know. Okay. No. Um, so, I mean, I people's, sorry, people's convert people's discussions about this has been a very diverse over time. Like even mm-hmm. Matthew Henry had wrote a biblical com- commentary in right. 1710. And he says that you can take every single verse in scripture about same sex behavior. And they have one thing in common and that it's all abusive or Peter Cantor, who was a French theologian in the 12th century, he was asked to go through the Bible and to pick out every verse about same-sex behavior. And he picked, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, right. Leviticus, um, Romans 1, you know, natural and unnatural, um, right. even Jude, sex with angels. But he did not pick this verse. Mm-hmm. So even like that, to, like that to me had struck me. So even its historical commentaries about this has changed over time. So I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. So I, I do want to go to that Romans verse since we're, we're there now, especially mm-hmm. since you said that it's, it's hard to translate it as homosexual because then you're including women and women aren't addressed in that passage, which is true. And Corinthians is not addressing women in that passage, but Romans chapter one does. It addresses males and females in that passage. Uh, so I, I want to go ahead and read that off and then we'll, yeah. you know, we'll kind of dissect it from there. So, uh, Solomon, is this from the ESV, I'm assuming? Yeah. Okay. So from the ESV, Romans 1, 26 and 27, uh, for this reason, God gave them up to, to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves a due penalty for their error. Mm-hmm. So in, in the context at the face value reading, and, you know, we can dissect it. Women exchange what was natural for women. Men exchange what was natural for each other, burning with passion, burning with passion for each other. So mm-hmm. it's a mutual 
I have passion for you. You have passion for me. We're right. burning for each other. It's not so much of an exploitative. I took him and he didn't want it. It's mutual at this point. So how, how would you look at that? Well, I think I look at the overall context of what Romans is talking about, like what Paul is conveying here. So in Romans okay. one from chapter one to chapter three, Paul is making the case that it doesn't matter who you are, Jew, Gentile, you need a savior. Right. Uh, and so you read Romans two and Paul is talking to the Jews. He reminds right. them, you break one law, you've broken the whole thing. You, right. You're never going to be good enough. You need a savior. Right. And so Paul has to make the same case to the Gentiles about you need a savior, but he right. can't bring up the law because the Gentiles did not have that. It was not embedded in their culture for 1400 years for them to understand what the law was. Um, well, let, let me ask you that for a second, because that's that's a point where I might differ with you, mm -hmm. because when, when we talk about sin, especially in this context, uh, what he says to them is even those who do not have the law, when they act in accordance with it, show that they are a law unto themselves. So he's almost putting the point that even if you don't have the revelation of the law, the law rests on your conscience from from creation, being in the Imago Dei, in the image of God. Um, further, I'd even go further to where it says that, uh, you know, essentially what I'm trying to get at is to define sin requires a set of standards. Right. So if he's telling them that they need a savior, he has to be implying that they're violating something, right? Well, what are they violating? I don't, I'm, I think I'm arguing from more of the standpoint that like, they did not understand the law. Like they did not understand all 613 they didn't know all 613 they did not right. keep all 613 right. even but the he, Jews didn't keep all 613 right no. but he he is kind of pointing to specific things that would say if i was looking at that that this is something you should understand which is why he would tell them this is unnatural or not right right well so i mean yeah i mean verse 19 for what can be known about god is plain to them because god has shown it to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature been clearly perceived ever since creation for all they they in the verse 21 for all they they knew god they did not honor god uh, honor him as god or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened and then in verse 25 because they exchanged the truth about god for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen so this is an understanding of so no one is out without excuse right so and you know uh verse 20 so they're without excuse for all they knew god they didn't honor him as god so there's an understanding a accountable understanding right. mm -hmm. of god and what's right and they reject that they, they exchange that truth for a lie right and we see that people do that same thing every single day today mm -hmm. so that's yeah sorry he, he'll even take it a step further and say that they suppress the truth in their unrighteousness which the word for suppression obviously doesn't mean just to ignore but to force actively down right down they're actively holding that right yeah. so if their their sinful acts are pushing down the knowledge of the truth of god so it's not that they don't know or they're unaware it's just they refuse to accept it would be how we would and you know cards on the table we're calvinists too so that would kind of play into our theology our theological position i don't know where you fall on that but that's you know how we how we would read this text so would, would you say that the, the Gentiles can't be held in in uh, guilt to the law because they didn't know the law? I think that the Gentiles, I mean, I think that when you read the whole entire chapter of Romans is that like 
even though that they didn't keep like they didn't have the law that they like understood like god's i guess what am i trying to say like god's um design intention yeah his intention right. his okay. divine um, attributes right right yeah um, power and divine yeah but from like the affirming side we would say that um even though like the uh the gentiles didn't have the law what they mm -hmm. did understand was the concept of stoicism and that this is what it's at play here and that paul's use of nature and unnatural natural is coming from the um the stoic philosophy mm -hmm. and so um so stoicism is a um philosophy that started in um, Greece and became wildly popular, spread it throughout the Greco-Roman world, but it was a harmonious experience all about being in harmony with nature. And so being in harmony with nature was all about being in harmony with yourself, with your society, with the physical world. And all three of these things were part of being in harmony with nature. Um, so from Paul's description here is that all three of these things are being violated and that not, what we're seeing here is this out of control, everything is out of balance, nothing is in harmony with nature. Um, right, but Paul's not gonna hold them in guilt to stoicism, which had more to do with controlling your passions. He's holding them in guilt to the law, right? Because that's the standard that you violate. That's why in 323 he can say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the, the word for sin that he's using there is an idea of missing the mark, right? Mm -hmm. This is the standard, you fell short. So he's not holding them to the standard of stoicism. He's holding them to the standard of the glory of God and the law of God. So what 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 are they doing that's violating the law of God? Well, I would, well. Well, this is right after he said, by nature, they know there is God. Right. So like, so he, he's he's talking to them saying, uh, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So he's saying these pagans can look around creation and know that there is a God, which they right. do. And they reject that truth and exchange that truth for a lie. So he's saying by nature, you know, this Judeo God exists. Right. And he, ex he extrapolates at Mars Hill when he tells them the temple, of the, the idol of the unknown God, he says, you're so superstitious, you're afraid of offending a God you don't know. Let me explain that God to you. So he's essentially, you do know this God is existing. Let me explain right. him to you. Yeah. Okay. So he's, he's using nature in that sense. Not, I, I don't believe in the Stoic sense. I'm a big fan of the Stoics. I really love Stoicism. And I think in Stoicism is more, they were pagans as far as that harmony with nature. But yeah. it was also, it was um, more about the ultimate rationale, the mm -hmm. logos, right? Which, right, right. I mean, which, you know, in, the Bible is the word. And so mm -hmm. it's like, man, you Stoics are almost so right there. Close. Like, you're so close. <laughs> yes, you're right. Logos, the word. That's Christ. Just get it. It's like, and they have it. And that's the ultimate rationale. Everything should lead to the Logos, nature, humans, everything. And so don't, yeah, not passions, not Epicurean, you know. So uh, that's that. And then, but that's Jesus. And so they just, they don't get that Jesus. Part, right. So. <laughs> yeah. As a, matter, as a matter of fact, in one of his other epistles, Paul is going to condemn the idea of stoicism and man-made wisdom that has an appearance of holiness, but ultimately can't deal with sin. And he'll, he'll mention things like, why do you say uh, you should not touch, you should not taste, you should not, as if these do anything to cleanse you of your sins. So yeah. the, that idea of just a self-control is something that he doesn't have uh, uh, that's not his standard. His standard, again, in, throughout Romans, is the idea that everybody has sinned against the law of God. So yeah. I, I guess what's, what's your understanding of what law are they violating? Like, what, well, what are they doing? I wouldn't I would not say that 
you know, Paul, Paul's usage of nature is to talk about like breaking the stoic philosophy like that. I, what we do see throughout other ancient texts is that um, many other Jewish writers between the first and second century start using this word nature, which is the Greek word phusis more often, mm -hmm. even though it never is um, used in the Septuagint and mm -hmm. that Jewish writers are using it more often because they're using it, they're using like words, phrases, and concepts that the Gentiles would have understood right. to point to explain to them about their need of a savior. Right. So yeah. it's not that like- I've, And they would talk that, about like, creation though. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and livestock and, and things. So uh, as far as nature in that sense, um, yeah, it wasn't completely foreign to them, but I see what you're saying, like in that, in that, um, that pagan atmosphere and, and environment. Yeah. They would kind of use that language and, and yeah, it's just using a concept to explain someone, um, which if they had brought up the law and all these different explanations that Gentiles just like, wouldn't have like known what the law was, even though well, like, that's, that's a little hard to, to, I, I want to differ a little bit on that point because, uh, when Paul talks to Timothy, who was Jewish, but raised in a Gentile context. And when he was talking to the churches and he mentions scripture, he's referring to the old Testament, right? Like the new Testament wasn't written yet. So the idea that when writing to the Roman church, they wouldn't have a concept of the law. It is a little bit hard to swallow. Like that would have been the scripture that they were pouring over. I have never heard of that. The Jews, right? Right. Well, mm -hmm. the, and, and the Gentile church in that, especially in that context, I mean, in Romans, you have a mixed con the, the historical background of Romans is that Romans was written after the return of the Jews to Rome. They had been expelled. They were coming back. And right. now you have a mixed congregation. And that's why he's addressing both sides and saying, neither one is better for having law or not. Both need a savior because both are in violation of the law. Right. So when he addresses the scriptures to them, which especially in Romans, he quotes the Old Testament over and over and over. Uh, that's the scripture that they're reading is the Old Testament. So I have a question now because okay, if this is about like, like breaking like the law right um, if this does portray a scene with women with women is right. would that be breaking the law yes but there's not a law for that mm. so let's let's dig into this because i like where this is going because that's i wanted to get to this next point uh because there's going to be times where things are called law and we look at it and say i don't know that that was a law but it, jesus would use it in that term for instance he would say uh in your law, does it not say? And then he's going to quote the Psalms. Mm -hmm. And we would say that's not a law, but he's using it in that sense, right? And almost as if to say the entire uh, revelation of God is the standard, not just the Pentateuch or not just the 613 or however they chose to live by, uh, especially when he gets into how they misuse the law and they abandon, they forsake the law of God for the traditions of man, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when I want to get into Jesus too is, is on this word unnatural and we talk about nature. So one of the, the things that I think is important in cultural context, Jesus talks about marriage and divorce, right? Uh, the, the, there are two schools of thought in rabbinical teachings. One was that you can get a divorce for any reason, and one is that you cannot get a divorce for any reason. So they essentially throw this at his feet and say, what do you say? He says, have you not read that from the beginning, he who created them created them male and female. And it's for this reason that a man leaves his family, cleaves to his wife, and the two become one flesh, right? Uh, that seems to be the standard that he's appealing to, the, the, the Edenic state, the one man and one woman. Yeah, a creation, marriage. This was the intention. Uh, 
that kind of to me anyway would would put the lgbtq affirming side kind of in a weird position uh because there's a lot of other relationships that that implies that jesus doesn't seem to hold to yeah so this is where the argument about the one flesh bond will there's going to be some tension there because okay. on one side it's about like this like complementarity of the genders and on the other right. side this is this is about kinship about connectedness and so um, well i think it's both i don't well, think that's wrong I mean, yeah I, I think the connectedness though is solomon's going to have a different relationship with his wife than he could ever have with me even though we're close friends right like there's a there's a a, a spiritual reality at play here that we were designed male and female woman taken from man, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, that they become one flesh. Mm -hmm. But like, even like when reading Genesis, like, like God is making all of these animals for Adam and like Adam is not fulfilled by it. Um, and so we do see then like the creation of Eve and um, we see Adam use this word, uh, use this phrase, um, you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Right. And we also see that similar language in other times of scripture, like when Laban tells Jacob, you are my bone and flesh. Um, I would not say that in that sense that this is some kind of sexual um, like relationship, but it's about like kinship. Like he's just basically saying like, you are my kin. So right, their family. Yeah. So kinship, um, so we believe the, the not not we but like the affirming side would say that the affirming side would say that the one flesh bond is about connectedness but because the gender complementarity side of it is a I would also say that that's a bit ambiguous because people explain the complementarity in many different ways because some people are going to say this is the complementarity about hierarchy it's men lead women follow and other right. Christians disagree with that mm -hmm. and some will say this is a procreative complementarity or this right. is um like an androgynous and complementarity um i've seen a bunch of different explanations on that even um talking to people everyone gives me a different answer about what they think complementarity mm -hmm. means so like even with that like Christians like disagree about what that is. Right. But the, the nature of the complementarity is kind of undeniable that it's Adam and Eve, man and wife brought together by God to become one flesh, right? Like that's at least beyond question. But what about like in Ephesians where like the one flesh bond is now Christ in the church? Right. The bride yeah. and the groom. So, yeah. Right. So that, that was, so marriage is a representation of Christ in the church. Right. It, it's like specifically like intentionally. Right. Right. And that's and, the, and that's important. That that's, that marriage means something, right. and it and it has to mean something in that context, in that uh, imaging of Christ in the church. And it's you, always a bride and groom, right? But couldn't you just? But couldn't you say that like the church is a body made up of both men and women? Right, but as a whole, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. That's why even in Revelation, as I said, Genesis to Revelation, in Genesis, we see the man and his wife brought together in paradise. In Revelation, we see the bride and the bridegroom brought together in paradise. Like the the, the mirrored images is always the bride and the groom, the man and the woman, the head, Jesus, and the uh, one under, the woman, the church, the bride, brought together in unity. Like you said, the, the, marriage, the marriage analogy is intentional, super intentional. Yeah, and it's more in, in the complementarian of the two is more in the context of marriage, right? So right. husbands love your wives, right? 
and and wives respect your husband, man, husbands, right. right? That's very important in that in that understanding. So it's not um, it is patriarchal, but it's not in that sense. Husbands love your wives. Men love women. Women respect men. No, right. husbands right. love wives, right. and wives respect women. Right. right or respect your husbands. And so that's, I mean, that's important there. So, and so it is that kinship. I understand what you're saying, that connection, but you know, God didn't create Laban for Jacob. God created Eve for Adam right. in that intentionally for that. Right. And so I think that's his created order, created design for family and for marriage. Right. Uh, specifically, you know, love your wife as you love, as Christ loved the church. Right. He lays down, lays down his life for him. So for them, so that's, um, there, the, the marriage is a representation of Christ with the church. I but if marriage is a representation of Christ and the church, and it's about keeping your covenant with your spouse as a reflection of God keeping his covenant with us, could we not say that two men could fulfill that? Uh, scripturally speaking, not, I don't think no, there's any context not, given. None, none for gender roles, for any sort of right. instructions for husband and husband or any right. sort of context like that. If, if Paul says to the congregation, husbands love your wives as, as Christ loved the church and women submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. If you're talking about two men, who's the husband, who's the wife? How does that work? Or, or even partner, love your partner, spouse, right. love your spouse. There's no ambiguity. There's no uh, mm -hmm. vagueness. It is always husbands and wives, you know, like leave your father, mother and clean to your spouse. No, clean, you know, clean your husband, clean your wife. Right. And so that's, yeah, and like, I guess people on the affirming side would say, you know, it's this, we're not having a conversation about like, um, about what scripture says, because we know what scripture says. It's, it, yeah, uses, the, it uses the man, wife, um, right. you know, right. man, woman, husband, wife language. Right. The difference is, is that can we, if we were to, if, if it was between a man and a man and a woman and a woman, would, anything about marriage be lost yes yes i mean I because, so. because gender means something specifically i mean I, that and that's why we came back to what you know you just said we're not talking really about what scripture says mm -hmm. okay i would agree <laughs> because scripture says male and female husband and wife and that's mm -hmm. why at the very beginning of this we kind of wanted to pin down where you'll stand on scripture because that is what we're talking about right. that is our manual that is our right. guidepost that is our God-breathed. It's important to have a God-inspired scripture. Right. So, what it says means something. It doesn't say spouse and spouse, partner partner. It says husband and wife. You know, mm -hmm. in that context. So, um, and that's not just a cultural. That's the way it was back then. That's all they had back then. That is an intentional uh, God created from the garden, from the first two humans that ever exist to now. Like in, that was intentionally male and female marriage. It's interesting. Every time I ask, um, like talk about like in the sense like marriage to Christians about mm -hmm. like um, LGBTQ inclusion, mm -hmm. um, I've had people explain it the way you guys have, but I've also right. had people explain it in a different way. I've had someone, I was actually, I saw a video online and someone had said, um, you know, in the garden, we see a man and a woman, right. but in the new creation, Jesus says that there is no marriage. And that we're not going back to the same garden, and it's in this that vision that the Ethiopian eunuch can be included in the faith, mm -hmm. even though Genesis said no. Mm -hmm. 
Well, the problem with that kind of understanding is that the reason that Jesus says there's no marriage in, in the resurrection, one, he was talking to people who didn't believe in the resurrection. Right. So when the Sadducees ask him the question, they're asking it disingenuously. They're essentially attempting to mock him using the resurrection. Right. Uh, ultimately, the 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 new garden in Revelation is a callback to the uh, Garden oh, yeah. of Eden. The, yeah. the, the imagery is the same intentionally. That idea of the paradise of God is the garden of God, right? So, but the marriage that's highlighted, once again, our marriage is a picture of the final marriage of Christ, the groom and the bride, his church. We don't need the representation when we have the real right. thing. We have the real thing. For now right. we see exactly. in part, but one day we'll see in whole. Right, it's a fulfillment of, of everything, everything that, rep that is represented, you know, being created in the image of God, but we don't have his glory, but right. we will be glorified. So like that's right. like everything is, yeah, through a, through a mirror darkly. So, right. but it will be fulfilled in, in that, in, uh, in heaven. And there's no procreation in heaven as well. So, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the issue there too, as far yeah. as family. Yeah. Um, I've also, um, have heard that like, um, what was I going to say? Yeah. Like the, I'm not saying that like the garden, like we're not going back into the garden because like we are, um, right. it's the garden. I've heard it like it's the garden fulfilled, but it's right. also transformed by the spirit of God. And yeah, that we're not I, yeah. going back into the same place as we came from. Right. I would agree with that. I think, I don't think, I think the garden, I think the new earth is not going to be like the garden. It will be what the garden should have become right? right without sin. Right. So, because that was the plan was to, the garden was on earth. It was a, sm a small place on earth. It wasn't the world, right? Mm -hmm. The garden wasn't the entire planet. So the idea was to go be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, right? right? To expand. I think that is what the, the sin entered the world. And so that got thrown off. But I think that will the new earth and new heaven will be what the garden on earth would have become if sin hadn't entered. So it will be different, I agree. Yeah. But, um, but in that fulfilled state of, yeah, having the real thing rather than representation, our as a church body, bride, marriage with Christ ultimately forever. And so we won't need the representation, we have the real thing. Right. And what so, about like um, that, you know, we're not going into the same place as we came from and that this vision is different. And so if, if the eunuch is included, mm -hmm. um, even though that was something that God never intended, could we mm -hmm. also say the same thing about gay people? Well, when, are you saying that gay people are the same as the eunuch in in, in no. a sense? No. Okay. So what? Because when we look at the eunuch, there's an idea of restoration, right? And again, this depends what you think about original sin. Uh, right. We would say that not just man has been corrupted by sin, but all of creation has been corrupted by sin. Mm -hmm. For instance, right. my present reality is I live in a body that has diabetes, right? That's my present reality. In the yeah. new creation, I won't carry that sickness, right? Right. The intention wasn't for me to have it, but I know it'll be restored to fullness where I won't have the sickness anymore. I would right. say the same thing for the eunuch, right? That won't be his reality in the restored creation. So in, in a sense, if you're asking, uh, can can a gay person enter the kingdom if they're restored and, and made whole and remove the corruption that is on all of us, right? We all have the corruption that needs to be taken out. That's why the idea is to be born again, right? right? The way you came in is one way, but the way you need to go into the next way, you need to be born again. Right. I agree with that. So, <laughs> so I guess one of the problems I'm having is that there, there seems to be kind of a, on, on the affirming side, there seems to be kind of a need for ambiguity. Um, personally, I don't see really any ambiguity, especially in the subjects that we're, where we kind of hit where Jesus talks about things and he says them kind of 
plainly and he just lays them out there one of the things he was he was very blunt that's why the, the disciples would come to him and say this is a hard saying who can stand by it because he just said it and let it rest there mm-hmm. uh, especially when we talk about how he says that he created from the beginning he created the male and female uh that's a modern category that seems to be just thrown out wholesale right like there is no male and female there's infinite number of genders uh, i don't know if you believe that but i know that's a thing that people will say uh and male and female are not really biologically different there's no real separate categories the only thing separating uh me from being a female is that i don't identify as one do, do you think that jesus um what, what is his, the context he was speaking in just doesn't matter to us today or maybe he didn't take that into account or what you know what where, where do you what do you do with things like that where he just says things the way they are and we have to deal with them are you talking about like in reference to like in reference to what he was talking about in like the one flesh one or does it like is anything in general just in general yeah because i mean like i said when, when we talk about the context of what paul was saying and what the law says and what jesus says it seems to all be pretty clear uh why does this ambiguity come into it i think it just just really determines about like how we interpret like the text um because i've seen different things about the words of jesus the words of paul um understood in very different ways like even like just now when we're talking about the inclusion of eunuchs a lot of people have explained in different ways about like what that is or even what a eunuch is like i've seen that explained like i've i even heard someone say that eunuchs are gay people i'm like i don't agree with that um but um yeah it just comes down on like theology interpretation of scripture um because even though like i might say something about how i think about the words of Paul and Jesus, um, someone else disagrees with me and will say something else. Um, but would, would so, either of those be correct? Yeah, would you say there's a truth that does exist and someone's wrong? Yeah, I would. Okay, so there, there is a way that it can be understood. That's why I'm asking why th- there's a, a almost intentional ambiguity. In terms of like... In terms of when, when we talk about what what Paul was saying here, it's that kind of intentional of like, well, we can't really know what it says. Or, yeah, we, yeah. It, yeah it's, it's, it seems that in, not only that, but a convenient ambiguity of like, we can understand love your neighbor means love your neighbor. Right. We don't really know what, you know, he means by man lay with man is with women. You know, it's like, well, that's like the same chapter, you know, <laughs> as far as like corruption of text or whatever. It's like, we're talking about the same, you know, neighborhood here. So... Um, but yeah, it, there does seem to be a convenient ambiguity or like vagueness or misunderstanding or impossibility of understanding what Paul means here. And, you know, and it seems disingenuous. It seems convenient. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of like what we're, what we're getting at as far as interpretation, we can clearly understand, uh, that's not murder and love your neighbor as yourself. But when it gets here, we don't know really what this means and stuff. It's like, well, why? <laughs> right. Why? Exactly. I mean, why? I hear and why not hear? You know. I mean, referring to like First Corinthians, we're dealing with the word that we don't know what it means, and I have like a stack but of puzzles right here. Context. Again, like if I yeah. thought television was made up later, and that's not a real word, doesn't mean anything. We're taking two different words or whatever, but in the context of something, I know can it is possible for me to know what a television is, right? right? And so it's like, so to say that like, well, we don't really, that's kind of made up later. We, it was invented and then we kind of had to make something up or basketball was made up uh, in the 40, whatever it is. We, don't, we can't know what that really means because it never existed before in, in any context mm-hmm. or this external thing outside of sports literature, there's nothing there. If I, if I read a cookbook, I don't see the word basketball, you know, it was written the same year. And it's like, well, 
what are you talking about? We're talking about the context of this word is clearly we can understand what it means within the context from the author. And so what he's yeah. pulling from in the, in the first place. Then I would say, why do a lot of different translations will say something different? It's different in what way? For instance, like what, what way are they different? Because if you're going to say the difference between homosexual or effeminate and homosexual or sodomite, those words carry the same context. Like there's not a, 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 a if I were to say to somebody before to describe homosexual activity, say before 1864, they would have a word for it. It just wouldn't be the same word I'm using. Right. But in terms of like how Paul translates first Corinthians, I've seen sexual perverts, homosexuals, male homosexuals, those who use and abuse sex. Um, male I, I think all of those, all of those are valid. If right. we're looking at this in context, those who use and abuse sex would count men who have sex with other men as you do with a woman. Or, or even Martin Luther's translation when he takes arsenicoitai and he translates it into boy molesters. Right. Which again, if we're going to say time, blurs the waters martin luther was in you know the 1500s that's 1500 years after paul wrote so is he as authoritative as paul is on on the old testament or is does the standard apply both ways yeah i mean yeah we, we need to look at you know, the greek and understand that right and we, which we are and that's good um but yeah we're saying from the greek we can't understand what paul's saying and that i just completely disagree with that i mean right. we say in in the greek a man you know lies with man as with a woman or you know give up natural passions for one another not not that's consensual right so and so we're not talking about abuse or rape or anything like that we're talking about men with men consensually right clearly you know and so you know that's there's just no misunderstanding that i just don't understand how we can not know what he's talking about in romans one um or just to say that it's an it's a total nature chaos and in, in, in vaguity and ambiguity I was like, no, I mean, he's talking about by nature, they know there is a God and right. they're giving up natural relations for one another, for unnatural with one another. So they know what nature is, they know what God is, and they know what they're doing, and God is giving them over to their sins. Right. And they're, they're dishonored, you know. So there's no ambiguity there. Like, this is what he's clearly talking about these people, saying what they're doing, and that it is wrong in the context of sin. So I just don't understand the ambiguity there. Where does the ambiguity come from? Yeah. Other than a need for it to be ambiguous, I right. guess, is what, or, what we're kind of seeing. I think I, we're just interpreting the, the text differently. Right, but, but why? That's the question. At the end of the because, day, yes, but why? Because of its context, even historical context or cultural context. In this biblical context of it's, that, it's, just it's, chapter one, Romans chapter one, like just in the, in the context of Romans chapter one, Paul writing. To these people like how like what's the difference in context that we're seeing is that nature is talking about like i've even heard this said about like nature is talking about like god's nature like god's plan um right but right the, yeah i would agree, I'd agree with that. <laughs> yeah but people can also interpret that as in in the context of the stoic philosophy right but the stoic but philosophy is absent stoicism. from the text right that's the problem yeah, romans one does not mention stoicism or pagan philosophy or right. anything he's talking about nature and nature's god and right. and unnatural of god. And so like i understand so how we can take external things and, and cram it into romans one but from romans one what you know what's the interpretation well, like Romans Paul, Romans Romans Romans. the Stoic philosophy in First Corinthians, when he says, "Does not nature teach you that it is unnatural for 
a man to have long hair. And he's talking about that in the social con um, convention, um, what is natural in society. And so we even see him use that in that passage, uh, which, mo which a lot of scholars would say that stoicism is provoked there. So okay. Romans one. <laughs> right. In the context of Romans one, yeah. the context is the revolution of God. Right. Yeah. So we say, well, he did it here. So he must be doing it here. No, we don't, we don't interpret Romans one with Corinthians. We interpret Romans one with Romans one in the context. Mm -hmm. What is he saying? And that just very clearly seems to be that these, the male with male relations is unnatural and God is judging them for it. So, I mean, I just don't understand we could take external things and cram them in. We can do that. But I don't think that's the best way to interpret scripture. And I don't think that it's appropriate to do like Romans one is just Romans one. And so it's saying something, what is it saying? You know? So, I mean, I just don't know, like from, I guess, you know, we're asked like from the context of Romans one, how is it ambiguous? You say, well, in Corinthians, <laughs> oh, <laughs> You know, so like, what's that? That's what I'm saying. So like, it, other things have to be brought from somewhere else mm -hmm. to get the right. interpretation you're getting. Is what I'm saying. Is that yeah. sound correct? I mean, I just don't think that we're gonna go anywhere with Romans. It's just because we are not agreeing with its context here. Right. I so, think we're interpreting. I mean, if we're not going to agree about its foundational context here, I can't see a way forward. So, mm -hmm. right. So okay, well, let me ask this way: Do you, do you believe that? Uh, God has a revealed standard of living and practice. Yes. Okay. Do you believe that it's knowable? Yes. Okay. How is it knowable? Because like Romans one says that like, like we all like God has made himself known to all of us. And right. That, and he's again, made himself known to us, especially in Romans one yeah. enough to condemn, but not enough to save. So in order to be saved, what was the revelation that tells us how we must be saved? Um, what, can you elaborate? So, for instance, in Romans 1, uh, the condemnation is that they know there's a God, but they don't honor him as God. So if they have sufficient knowledge for condemnation, but not sufficient knowledge for salvation, right? It takes a second step for salvation, right? The knowledge of the knowledge has to be revealed. What What's the revelation is, do not do this or you will perish. I honestly don't even know like how to answer that question. <laughs> I, I guess what I'm saying is, do you think the law has any validity in any way? Like, like the Levitical law, the Old Testament law, the, that whole chunk of scripture. Do you think it has any validity in any way as to what God desires for us? Well, I guess like the moral laws do, which is obviously what Christians uphold today. Um, even the Gentiles is what they ought to know as God has revealed. Right. Um, but like... I'm a little conf confused about like how I'm still a little confused about like what you're asking though, because so the, the moral law has that prohibition against men having sex with men, but if it's valid today, why do we introduce this ambiguity to make it either invalid? Oh, another, or that would be like, again, like because the foundation of like that Levitical law, like would also be a disagreement because I would say that that is a law that we don't, don't uphold today. Why? Why not that one? That is the moral law. That's a long conversation, but essentially the affirming side would say that this that that law is a patriarchal issue, and that it is just culturally wrong to put a man in the place of women. Yeah, why is that? We're making a lot of assumptions, but not exactly explaining why they're wrong. 
Well, the Levitic, well, the thing about Leviticus is that um, any explanation that affirming Christians do, it's all assumptions because even right. like we like all disagree about like about that law because some will say this is about like temple prostitution. I've heard that. Um, I don't agree with that um, okay. because people will say like, well, there's a law before it and it talks about um, not sacrificing your kids to Molech. And right. then like this verse appears after that. And I'm like, we'll keep reading. There's a prohibition on bestiality. Is that right. wrong because of idolatry? No. Um, so so th have, that's interesting though, because again, in that whole section, bestiality, incest is all covered too. But this is the one where it's like that one we, we don't know, or we don't understand, or I don't accept it. Well, or there's we also the prohibition about um, not lying with a woman on her menstrual period, which Christians today, I've even had... Um, I've even messaged a ton of like my pastor friends about this and mm -hmm. everyone has kind of given me a different answer. Some mm -hmm. have said that that's part of the moral law and others will have said, no, that's kind of kosher. Like we don't really follow that. Uh, that was okay. Is, is the prohibition on male, male sex part of the moral law or not? I would say no. Why? Because from my understanding is that, that, that law was talking about, a cultural concern about patriarchal gender roles. It's just saying, don't treat a man like you would treat a woman in the context. But in what way? The way that he's talking about is specific in a sexual way. Yeah, it's a male um, anal same-sex act. Right. But I w the thing is, is that women same-sex acts are not prohibited as well. Okay. So, so is this really about like homosexuality? Is that like, you know, can we say that that's the prohibition here because if if men are included but women aren't then like why is that that's a good question but yeah, why does that does that, that right but does that eliminate the validity of that passage for instance the saying women aren't included in here mean that it's okay for men even though it says specifically for men don't do this but if it's okay for men then why is it not or right, is but, it if it's not that, okay but that's what i'm asking is if, if women are are not included does that mean that well then this doesn't count for men even though it says it does in, no, in, in, in other words in other words, are you, are you taking the scripture as a whole or are you going to say, well, this part, no, this part, yes, this part, no, this part, yes. But don't we already do that in terms of like the Torah? Uh, not if we want to be consistent, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, God, God's law is holy. I mean, and it's not, uh, it's, it's not, it's fulfilled again, you know, so like the, the, cer the ceremonial laws and, the, and the, the, set of the things that like set us apart um, at, for Jews specifically, um are, are different because god christ has fulfilled those things so it's like the that's why we don't do the ceremonial things and circumcision it's not you know that that right. but, but circumcision was still necessary right and we, and we are circumcised right in the heart right and that was the ultimate thing but that was before this is, but we're after christ they were before christ right, right? So what, what like, we don't what we don't seem to have in the new testament is any point where paul says this prohibition against male male sex was a picture of this. Therefore, it's done away with. It, right. It's the opposite. He reiterates it, and yes. and states it again. Yes, right. it's reiterated through the through the New Testament, and so yeah, so that's how we can understand. Like, okay, so this is still part of the moral law and what how we ought to behave with these right. things listed with sins. And so, you know, that's and so whereas he talks about circumstances of the heart has been fulfilled, and so it, it was always about the heart, but that was before Christ, right. and they did it physically. Mm -hmm. to set themselves apart now we are you know have been circumcised in the heart and he even talks about in the old testament about circumcision of the heart so right. it was always about that it was always about faith 
It was never about the works and you had to right. do these things in the Old Testament. It was works, now it's faith. No, it was always about faith. Right. In Abraham's faith, we counted him as righteousness, right? Not anything he did. So it's, it's consistent throughout. And what's carried through to the New Testament, as far as how we are to behave through scripture, God breathed and, you know, uh, things that the apostles and disciples told the Christian church. So it's interesting because like, I know people like that would disagree with what you said and that um, I even saw this thing online where someone had asked like, what is required for salvation? And I saw like a list of Christians saying, good works, good works, good works, good yeah, works. They have a, they have was, a hard like, time. They yeah, have a really hard time arguing that from the scripture. That's the, yeah. that's I was the like, problem. You're not like, I, I don't know what, like, right. I was, like, a lot of people say a lot of things. And that's why, and that's why we have to have something to come back to, right? Because right. right, a lot of people say this, they'll say works or whatever, but okay, so that's why we need a measuring stick. We need right. that standard, that that authority, that final. Okay, look, what can we look at that that clears this up? Because everybody's saying different things, and that is scripture. And I think a lot of people say those things would say hmm, scripture. You know, like like Catholicism don't don't hold to scriptural authority as the final right. authority, and they will say works save you. So it's like, okay, well, you're not, they, if you're not measuring to the standard, don't care about the standard, then you're going to say a lot of different things that, right. that don't meet the standard. That's why we started this whole thing with scripture, because that's where Julie and I are coming from, of just right. like, not external sources, not, you know, what, what this other thing might say, but scripture interprets scripture. Right. God speaks for himself. And so we have to go to that in the context, let Romans 1 interpret Romans 1 and see what God is saying for himself in those, those passages, in their context. So, you know, and I think that ultimately that's what it comes down to. And, and, what, and, the, and that's the disconnect that Julian was talking about at the beginning of this is scriptural authority and letting the scripture speak for itself. Um, let the chapter speak for itself, but right. you know, in that context, uh, I think that's the big disconnect that we're kind of seeing here, which right. is common, you know, with a lot of different, uh, right. <laughs> Stuff. We have the same conversation with Mormons, have the same conversation right. with Catholics, have the same conversation with Jehovah's Witnesses and different perspectives right. and views on Christianity. So, yeah, it's just yeah. kind of another one of those <laughs> kind of things. Yeah. Cool. Well, we're here at about 1115, uh, covered a lot, I think. Uh, you know, got a little intense, but I think in a good way. I, I, I appreciate you coming on and talking with us, and, and uh, I feel like we had a good, respectful back and forth. You yeah. challenge us, we challenge you, so I, we really appreciate that. Uh, Matthew, before we take off, do you want to tell anybody where they can find more about uh, the movie, what you're doing, you in, as a person? Yeah, so um, Saturday, March 6th, I believe, um, I'm going to be on a Zoom Q&A with the director. Her name is Rocky, direct, um, director of 1946, the movie. And it's just going to be an hour discussion. We're going to be answering questions. But um, if you want to learn more about the movie, um, Go to 1946themovie.com. You can find them on social media at 1946themovie. Um, I think the movie's supposed to come out next year. They don't have a set date, but um, yeah, it's still in the works though. So they're in that, trying to get that completed. So cool, cool. Yeah. Uh, whenever that does come out, we we intend to watch it and kind of give a response to it. So right. be looking forward to that. We're we're I'm anxious to see it. I've been seeing. I've been following the page for a while, so yeah. I really want to see what comes out of that project. I'm excited. Cool. Well, thanks, man. We appreciate you joining us. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm it, I'm sure closer to the time we might have you back on to kind of go through this a little bit more and have a part two. But uh, we appreciate it, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
Thanks a lot. We really do appreciate it because a lot of people don't want to have these kind of conversations where we people actually disagree, right? And so like, I think we kind of live in a, cu a culture and a context right now where like, if you disagree, let's just not speak to each other, just silence and just yeah. hear each other. And so I never want to create a straw man of any sort of other perspective or worldview or, right. or, or argument or anything. So it's great to actually have someone who comes on and speaks and can, I, I never want to misrepresent anyone. So right. no, now like I hear this different perspective, different worldview. So now I can learn and hear and listen and right. understand it and not be unfair or disingenuous and say, oh, they believe this, oh, they say right. this or whatever. It's like, no, we had a conversation. We disagreed. Yeah. I heard them. They heard me. And leave it at the table and move I, on. Exactly. Right. So, it's that, important that, to have these conversations. And yes. I've had people block me, ignore right. me because of this. I'm like, we're not going to move anywhere. Like, we're not right. going to go. So I, I do want to say something else too to that point because I follow your stories too and I see a lot of stuff that you post. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you have one of the things you have posted before is, is Christians quote unquote Christians who tend to come at you with a lot of hate. Uh, yeah, I get a daily say, say things that I won't repeat on the air just because they're, you know, things that shouldn't be said by people of God. Right. Uh, so one of the things that I, I want to highlight here is that this conversation, we didn't comment. We don't want to come with this anger and, and hatred and condemnation right up front. We want to come speaking the truth, but in love. Always. Right. If that's yeah. not there, it's like Paul said, without love, I'm just a sounding brass or a tinkling symbol. None of your words matter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks, man. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Cool. Thanks. Uh, we got Solomon back, so hopefully we'll be back on track going forward. We'll get some uh, some more stuff coming up, some stuff we're excited about. But uh, thank you, everybody, for watching. Um, share it, tag it, everything. Like, subscribe. Uh, share the clips when they go up. We appreciate everybody. Uh, anybody who's in a foreign country listening, I still want to hear from you guys. Kind of let me know how you found us, what you want to hear about. We're really, really open to suggestions and things like that. So uh, until next time, thanks everybody for joining us. This is the time. This is the place. And we'll see you guys. Yep.